0: Welcome to the 525 Records Podcast. My guest today on the podcast, comedian Chris Condren. It's episode nine, brought to you by Fuck Chase Bank.
1: So, the point of all the, you can tell we did this for the money. There, thank you for coming out. I haven't said that yet. <laughs> That's why. the point of this show is I got robbed and I need money I'm in debt to a drug dealer and I got overdrafted by Chase fucking bank today twice they did a double one yeah man $34 each get the heck out of here man that's $68 so I was like fuck Chase Bank and I wrote a jingle to s- destroy them right, so this is, here, this is going to be the jingle. You guys are all going to share this. We're going to story Chase Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase. Here we go, this is it. Hey, Chase Bank, why you got to take all of my money?
0: (laughs) My guest today on the podcast is comedian Chris Condren. His comedy album. And that's it. That's the whole song. I promise my next album will be better. Is available on iTunes, and uh, yeah, Chris, welcome to the podcast. How you doing today?
2: Hey, yeah, did you hear that bus in the background squeaking? Uh, hey, you know, I had to
0: mute. <laughs> I, like muted
2: it for a second.
0: Um, on my roof. Uh, the podcast today is a long distance podcast. I'm up in Portland, Oregon, and uh, Chris is down in Los Angeles. I think in the Echo Park area. Yeah. Chicago is a humongous city. It is, you know, unparalleled it's, in its size. I mean, it, it almost it's paralleled
2: with like a couple cities, but that's it.
0: It's enormous. It's big. I mean, flying over it, you feel like you're flying over, you know, the LA basin. It's uh, it's huge. What part of Chicago did you uh, make your home at?
2: Uh, as far as comedy, I performed all over the city. I i i, I tried to like get as much exposure to different uh Types of rooms, like, because uh, if you're just doing like shows in like what the Gold Coast where Zanies is, then you're just performing for people that are like, you know, rich people on a date. They got a babysitter, like, and and then you get tailored to just one type of audience, and that's like, maybe that's who you want to perform for, like, and who you want to sell your albums to and stuff. But most of Chicago comics were like had that mentality if they wanted to do as many different rooms as possible every room that like is in the city because every room is really different. Even if it's like in the same neighborhood, every room has like a different crowd. And, uh, and that's, I think uh, it helps a comedian to try and be able to perform well in front of every audience. I think that's like an ethic that Hannibal Burris kind of instilled in Chicago comedians because he came up before, like, the, my generation, like, was, like, he was, like, the hero for, if that makes sense. Like, everyone was like, oh, this is what Hannibal did. And, like, you kept hearing his name, like, that's, like, how Hannibal did it, like. And, and so, right. like, he kind of instilled this ethic in, like, a whole generation of comedians. Like, he he had been doing it five years when I started. And I, I, when I first started, he did his first, um, I remember everyone at the bar, like, watching his first performance on TV on Craig's Ferguson. He was, like, the hometown hero and it was like a cool thing to see
0: did you ever watch the eric andre show
2: of course yeah it's
0: amazing yeah those are some great great uh television moments i mean uh, that i think you can still watch it on adult swim but they, they had that one episode it was the uh, hannibal burris hosting and it was the hannibal burris show
1: <laughs> he's
2: like he was like personally one of my biggest influences in comedy and i think it's because a like he's hilarious and B, also just seeing someone like that, like there is that hometown effect, but like, yeah, like watching someone like, be, cause you'd see him, you know, working his craft. He would still go to open mics when he was, you know, already like a huge success. He would just, all he had like, he would do every room, open mics, showcases, like, and then also be doing like big stuff like Chicago theater and, and stuff. You know, like he, he, probably had probably one of the best work ethics of a comedian and like i said that inspired the whole scene
0: what is the you know the room in chicago like i mean i mean i'm not a comedian and uh, forgive me if i butcher this but you know in new york i think like comedy sellers revered as like the comics room oh, maybe in la it'd be the store maybe the i see what you mean improv what, what is that room in chicago for me personally is a,
2: a show called comedians you should know and they have a Comedians You Should Know in L.A. and in New York as well. I, uh, I've done the L.A. one. I haven't done the New York one. Um, and it's not a club. It's a, I mean, it is kind of a club. But, like, they uh, they have, like, a contract with a bar. I don't know. If it, they, they probably don't right now. But they have, like, the liberty to change locations, if that makes sense, uh, if they don't like their contract with their bar. Right now, it's it's inside a Timothy O'Toole's. They have a room designated for comedians you should know. So it's a comedy club inside uh, Timothy O'Toole's, which is like a bar. I think it's like a, a sports bar type thing. Uh, but they have a really cool setup. And they really care about the, their slogan. is like, we just want the, the funniest people doing in, in, in comedy doing our show. And they got a lot of cool uh, acts coming in from out of town. And they're very, uh, they, it's a really hard to get on that show. And I remember when I first started stand-up, like, that was, like, my goal. I was, like, I want to do should know that would like, <laughs> that was, like, oh, I really want to do this show. That's the goal. Yeah, that was my goal. I was, like, it, it, which seems like a, a small, uh, it was just, like, you, I saw, I remember seeing one of the shows. And, like, it was so funny. And then I wanted to do that, too.
0: And you've been in the stand up game, what about ten years?
2: A little bit longer than that. I, I stopped counting. I think it might be twelve years.
0: There's a uh, there's a great article from a while back on uh, timeout.com, Chicago comedy, and they, they talk about your act a little bit. And uh, there was one in one in there that uh, really had me The Illuminati.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, that was a song I had about like Helen Keller being like a, a leader of the Illuminati and uh I had a song about Helen Keller being a hoax. It's very, it's very empathetic of me. (laughs) You know, I just, (laughs) I was like, I don't know. I still believe it's a hoax. Helen Keller, not real.
0: Prove it to me.
2: If people, if there's a whole movement for flat earth, we need a Helen Keller fake movement too.
0: Well, if I could quote the article, His signature song, Space Time Warp, which he wrote in a summer writing program at Pittsburgh's, uh, how do you pronounce it? Duquesne. Duquesne University. Yeah, it doesn't
2: look like it, but Duquesne.
0: That's a new one on me. Uh, Condren Wales about a guy who builds a time machine that takes him first to a Nirvana concert and then to meet Helen Keller. He discovers Keller's a leader of the Illuminati and has ninja assassins at her disposal. That's true. This is all real. This sounds incredible. Uh, Condren sells such ridiculous fare with nerdy earnestness. When he strolls on stage, you can almost feel the skepticism. I mean, uh, man, how do you even come up with something like that? N- Helen Keller is a hoax, a time machine. I, mean, uh,
2: I take a lot of Adderall. <laughs> or I don't take enough Adderall. It's one of the two.
0: You know, my initial impression of you was like, oh, man, I bet this guy had all the girls in school. And he was like, no, cool. I, I didn't lose my virginity
2: until I was 24
0: holy shit yeah i was a big nerd man
2: uh i think especially the the picture of that article and <laughs> they got like braces on and stuff doing comedy and braces uh
0: yeah the picture's horrible like the you know, <laughs> trademark it's, cap and braces and glasses it, it's, it's so it's you wouldn't, you wouldn't even recognize it as you today
2: that's what's that's what's so strange though it's like assuming about like that you bring up something really interesting about like the the concept of uh, assume, uh, assuming like someone's experiences in childhood i never thought about myself as someone like that i don't know like uh it's weird to think about people's upbringing and what they might have gone through and stuff like i never really assume like what like i think it's such a mystery like what what was your childhood like and you never know what's behind doors right like and it's a crazy it it just kind of highlights that we kind of live in this world of assumption right Oh,
0: for sure. Quick assumptions based on very little photographic evidence.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, I guess that's also like, it, it might, maybe it's like an old dinosaur instincts that we have to try and come up with a quick decision about people that like we're evolving out of and figuring out like, yeah, hey, this is not the best way of, uh, this is not too scientific back from the stone age.
0: <laughs> the human brain demands answers immediately.
2: Yeah. We've we got to know now. Uh, i i'm really blown away by that like i can't remember what it's from but it's in air. uh it, you can find it on google or whatever but there are four types of knowledge there's known knowledge so there's things that you know that you know right which is ah. probably the rarest kind like does that make sense
0: well, yes, uh, Rum- Donald Rumsfeld was famously uh, quoted in a press conference about known unknowns and right. knowing what you don't know. And-
2: uh, Yeah, exactly. This is like the other side of that coin or it's not exactly a coin. Uh, maybe it was four sided, it's a square. This, so there's like known knowns, which are like, not only do I know this, but I know that it's, I know this like, which I, I actually don't know if I believe in, in that at all. Like it's like, cause everything could be a lie. Shit, I might not even be human, right? And I don't know for certain what I do know. So I, I think that like known knowns are kind of an illusion. But then well, postmodernism. Right. I don't even know what postmodernism
0: is. <laughs> well, yeah, there are no absolutes. It's just r- sort of.
2: Right. Exactly. Like the, uh, then, But then there's unknown knowns, which I think that's really interesting. The things that you're right about and you think you're right about them, but you don't know that you're right about. Them, right. You know what you don't know. Or you're, you don't. Well, that's the one below it. Right. So there's, there's the ones that you you don't know what you know. So you like, you might know something, but you don't have confirmation that you know it. You're you're operating on that belief. You think that you do, but you don't have, you don't have certainty. So unknown knowns, uh, which is kind of like where like science probably I imagine like sits like they have like theories and hypothesis and they're, they're like, all right, this is our operating belief, but we know that it could be disproved in the future. Right. Uh, and then there's unknown, or known unknowns—the things that you know that you don't know. Like I know that I don't know calculus.
0: And you know, this is, I think uh, Rumsfeld said it best: Baghdad and some of these terrorist organizations. There are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns
1: the ones we don't know we don't know
0: <laughs> excuse me but is this an unknown unknown
1: uh, i'm not several unknowns and i'm, I'm just i'm not going i'm not going to say
0: which it is but, but the <clears You're gonna throat> right here. i mean that's just classic Rumsfeld.
2: So. wait that's funny that they asked is this an unknown unknown For, which is like a paradox because if you know that it's an unknown then it's a known unknown it immediately right you can't know what's an unknown. The whole point of an unknown unknown is that it's a total blindside, right? I mean, you-
0: it's it scrambles one's brain to even entertain this this four square, square uh, you know, idea of what is known and what isn't known.
2: But that's what and I can't remember how we got on this topic, but I, I think about that all the time. Like, well, it's like, oh, do I know? that uh, It kind of like creates a hesitation. Which is the opposite of what our caveman brain wants, probably. Caveman brain wants immediate, no, this is what it is, certainty, no known, and it'll like embrace, you know.
0: The human brain is very, you know, it needs answers at all times. It's very hard to just let something go uh, and to get to a place where you can say, well, maybe I'll never know. You know the brain yeah. constantly cycles back into you know how do I figure this out? How do I figure this out? What is the answer? Why did this happen?
2: I like that though. I like that. The, I like that. There's a thirst for knowledge. I like that. There's a curiosity.
0: I've right. never done an open mic ever. Yeah. Uh, Are you curious? Well, tell me about that first open mic. And it's uh, am I pronouncing this right? Shubas.
2: Shubas was not the first one. I think in that article they say it's the first one. But the first one I did was at the Globe.
0: Ah. Do you remember it at all was it traumatizing did it uh, w- did it go well
2: it was not traumatizing it, it, it was great I, I loved it the first time um it started going badly my sister signed me up without me knowing she knew that i wanted to like get into comedy and i remember when i was like 18 i, I went to like comedy club and i was like how do i do this and they're like oh you take a class i'm like how much is the class and they're like three hundred dollars i was like all right, I guess I can't do comedy. Like I didn't have three hundred bucks. Like it was like. So then I didn't really. It maybe like another year went by. Like my sisters knew that I like I wanted to do this, but it was like it cost money. It sounded like everything was like a pay to play type of entry. Like, like you have these improv classes, and then the the one I was talking about was like a stand up class, and I was like, oh, shit! Like that's the way in. Like it, it felt like there was a, a gatekeeper type thing. My sister was telling me, like, there's this underground comedy thing we've been going to and checking out by our house. And she's just talking about, like, she saw Hannibal do stand up there. And she's like, there's this Hannibal guy. It's really funny. Like, Hannibal was doing open mics and stuff as well as doing, like, these big shows. But like like I said, he had this ethic. He was doing everything. And I was like, I want to come see this. And then I, I came to watch. And she had signed me up without me knowing. And I guess, I, I like, in the back of my head, I knew that I might be going up and that I, I might sign up. And so I had planned to talk stuff to talk about had I decided to go up, but in the end I decided not to sign up, but my sister didn't let that happen. She signed me up anyway. And, uh, without me knowing, and then my name got called up and then I I started just talking about the stuff that I planned that if I did like in the, and that stuff was just not going over. It was like, I was like a minute in, I was like, Oh, this is, this is going bad. And then in that moment I was like, I just did like a reset on stage. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing guys. This is like my first time. (laughs) And then everyone was like, ah, they kind of applauded. And I was like, and then I just kind of went into it. I abandoned the stuff that I had pre-planned. And I kind of just, I riffed a story of what happened to me like that week about a, a a lady on the train that wanted to see my butthole. And like, (laughs) and then that went really well. Like I, I saved the set. If, if that makes sense. It wasn't like, I, it wasn't like, Oh, that's a set that I should do on late night. It wasn't like, it wasn't like killer material, but like, I I found my footing. Like, I I got lucky that I reset it, because then I might have had a different impression of comedy or, or stand up, if it was just like if it kept going that route.
0: But by by resetting, that means everything I've written in for this open mic, I'm now chucking out the window, and yeah, I'm yeah, freewheeling on stage.
2: Yeah, I realized like cuz it was just like this isn't working and uh I just had I'm glad that I did that. It was uh it's the, probably the right move. I think a lot of times you you can get tunnel vision and in it's good to like calibrate to reality. Like I'm not where the room is and they can feel that. They can tell that I'm like doing something that was like earlier today that I'm kind of just doing a script that was like and it's not a very good script. Sometimes we do have something that they know is like a planned thing, but you know, the jokes are written so well and the presentation is there and people pay to see that. But like, these were the first jokes I'd ever written. So they were not that these weren't like Jimmy Carr stuff. So then I, it was cool to like get on the same page, the audience being like, yeah, that shit sucks. I know that it sucks. And I think people find that endearing when you are able to be like lightheartedly, I don't feel bad about being bad right now. Does that make sense? It takes pressure off the audience because they are empathizing with you, man. They don't want you to suck. They want you to be good. They want you to feel like you're doing good and they want to watch you do good. So if you at least can relieve the audience of, uh, my feelings aren't getting hurt right now, that takes a lot of weight off of them. And it at least buys you some time or energy to like reset. Be like, "Ah, how about this guys? I'll tell you about the lady that wanted to see my butthole. Like, it's it, uh
0: charming it, and relatable
2: yeah exactly <laughs> very charming
0: well i'm i imagine not, that, not my but... wife <laughs>
2: that's my wife the lady that wanted to see my butthole and i show it to her every day
0: i mean i imagine you went up without an instrument because uh, if anybody doesn't know you're also a fabulous musician and uh, part of your act now you know the Casios. A big part of it but i mean how many mics did you do without an instrument or did, was it up there i think i did a
2: year one? without an without a musical instrument i did a year of straight stand-up and now i would want to say that the first time ended up being good and people like were like that was great you know they shake your hand and you feel good and you're like i'm good at this i'm gonna be great like you get all cocky or i did at least Maybe the listeners is more humble and then immediately i bombed the next time and then i bombed again and then i had this feeling of like OK, I guess that first time was a fluke. Maybe I'm just bad at this. And then I looked at my life and I'm like, what am I doing? Uh, I didn't I went to like an alternative school, so I, I can't and I didn't have the credits to get into college because I got like expelled. And I was like, um, either I just like keep working at, at, at Domino's and playing video games all day or I can like just be bad at this. And maybe hopefully one day I won't be bad at this and it could be like rewarding or something. And so I, I just decided to keep doing it and keep being bad at it. And then like about a year later, like, I think it, it, it started being good. Like, I think I did, I think six months in was the first time I did good again for the first time. (laughs) So it took a while. And then, and then I introduced the musical stuff and then it actually really started flying when I started introducing the musical stuff, but I was able to like get it to work again without the music. And then I introduced the music.
0: You're also an avid uh, or were, I don't know, do you still skateboard?
2: I don't I don't trick board uh but I I love skateboarding uh, not as much as like <laughs> some people like it's, they have such a passion for it it's so beautiful watching them To me
0: the parallels are uncanny. I mean, when you start trying to do a nose grind trick I don't I don't skate so forgive my lack of skater lingo, but you know you you're going to face plant and fall down a bunch before you finally you know nail that trick and it seems like everybody that goes into comedy it's very rare to not have those initial bombings where you question yeah. everything you know, oh, i'm gonna quit and i suck and then it, it either makes you better or you just you know, i think
2: you know and i think that might be um i think i i i actually looked to why i was a failure in skateboarding and i was like i don't want to replicate that in comedy and i kept and i remember i was like studying rodney Mullen a lot when i like got, when i got the the biggest growth spurt in comedy was when I was like, I revisited skateboarding. I was like, why was I bad at skate? Like, I mean, I could do like tricks. I could do like a, you know, kickflip and stuff. I could ollie and, and like jump over some small things. But I never like had the balls to like jump down a staircase or like do that, like the dope shit or like go fast and do and do tricks while like like moving like quick and stuff. And And it was like a fear that I let control me. And I think and I and I recognized that. And I was like watching these videos, these interviews with Rodney Mullen, and I was like, you, "You gotta let go of that. Like, you gotta like." And and I got when I was like, maybe I was like around like nineteen or twenty. Like I, I revisited skateboarding, and and I, you know, I started facing that fear. And then I and I was like, and that's what I think that's what went into my comedy too. It's like you gotta let yourself bomb. You gotta let yourself do an idea you think will like people will think you fucking suck for <laughs> maybe possibly or like. Like they might be like, Oh, that's very unfunny. Like people get like an idea that you might think get booed. And I, I think it's that same thing as like, uh, you gotta you gotta actually you gotta face the staircase, right? Uh the reason I was bad at skateboarding, like when I was in high school and stuff is because I was kinda controlled by the fear. You know, I was afraid of like jumping down staircases or like I didn't want like I only did like tricks standing still and and you know, I could ollie and maybe I dump ollie over like a few decks or something like that, but I was never really doing anything that like, you know, real skateboarders, they, they challenge that stuff. And, and I, when I was gotten to comedy, I was like, well, when I was younger, I wanted to be like a, like a pro skateboarder. And I was like, what stopped me? Why didn't I achieve that? It's because, and I, I recognized it was because of fear. And I was like, I have to, because like, I was like, that's going to travel over into the new passion that I have. I'm going to be bad at comedy if, if I don't like t- deal with that fear that hesitation and and then i actually got back into skateboarding and then i i actually tried to like face those fears in skateboarding and then i also at the same time like faced that in comedy and that's when i started doing more experimental stuff that i thought was funny that might not get the reaction that like i expected but like i just kind of like did what i wanted to do and then it ended up being rewarding like and I I I have skateboarding to thank for that. Like watching these like Rodney Mullen interviews, and he's talking about like doing it for like love and like just for the endless creation, and like it's really beautiful to watch. Like there's a there's a specific interview that I would watch over and over again. I still watch it sometimes. There's a slam trick. I think it was it like the slam trick fest. Like, but if you if you Google Rodney Mullen slam trick interview, it's like a two minute video, and it's like the most beautiful short most like blurb of just like inspiration and i think it translates to anyone doing anything that they love it's just like about pure passion and intention behind doing something it's a wonderful video and it i i like i'm not like a huge i'm not like a huge success story but the success that i do have and the the moments that i have gotten to experience that were great I think I, I owe a lot to like that mentality and that mindset.
0: Yeah. You got to drop the fear. I mean, uh, for me, I'm a pretty tall dude, 6'5", you know, very top heavy. I could never skate. I would never even try. That's me. Just,
2: I'm same height. <laughs>
0: it's, you know, and, you know, contrary to popular belief, I think, you know, I've heard a few stories of comedians performing in the deep south in particular where there there was a threat of physical violence. Right. <laughs> for a heavy bomb. So it's uh you know that's
2: true too. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. i uh, yeah, I never even thought about it. Like
0: the one that comes to my mind, I don't know if you're a big Bill Hicks fan, but Yeah, I got, remember that story. <laughs> yeah. Just uh the dance hall, people with guns. And, Gotta go out the back door. And then the the keys are locked in the car as they're uh trying to escape. Pretty hilarious just something so fascinating to me about trying and failing and you know whether it's music or comedy skateboarding having the balls and the guts to get up there you know and give it a go that's what really matters and Mm -hmm. you know it's really fascinating to the people that think that they're amazing and awesome and then it's the audience's fault for not you know latching on or being receptive
2: sometimes that is true but, yeah, I, it like if you never suspect yourself, there's probably a problem there, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. It's you okay know. to suspect the audience, but, you know, not all the time. Like, I'm not a fan of blaming the audience. But, like, I, at the same time, like, don't give up on your jokes just because an audience didn't like it. It's like a science experiment, right? Yeah. You know, it maybe it was just it. the audience. Try it again. If, again, it doesn't work, maybe it's, like, your joke or your delivery or something. That's a lot of comedians try jokes like different rooms. That's what I was talking about like performing over town. Room. You know. Yeah, like seeing it, yeah, what's the context? What was the joke that came before it? Maybe switch the like maybe you went up after a comedian that like kind of put the room in a Yeah, like finding the pocket. Like that's what like comedians all talk about timing and stuff. Maybe it was just a timing issue.
0: When it when a crowd turns ugly and you're following somebody that uh, you know is, I don't know has, I mean I, you hear comedians talk about it all the time like oh I had to follow this person or that person and it just there was no way it was ever gonna work no matter how good.
2: I don't you know? believe in that I feel like I, I've I, that, that's the thing is like like I say you can like blame the crowd but I I do internalize it as a failure if I didn't turn if there was a bad crowd that I didn't turn good. I do see that as like a, oh, I fucked up. Like, I'm sure. Yeah, it was like very difficult, but why was I not able to overcome that difficulty, right? I maybe that that situation, that obstacle. If you if it's like, if you want to get all like Tony Robbins about it, like it's like a mountain, and like why can't you climb that mountain? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it. But it is. It there. It is like an opportunity. That's a good feeling too. If the room is bad, and then you come up and like, and you actually get something out of the room and you put the audience in a good mood that's like the whole goal right right it and um yeah it, 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 i don't take it too personal i mean actually i don't know i take it pretty personal every time you don't do well in comedy it's it's like the most personal thing ever it feels terrible it sucks <laughs> it, it you you feel it until you do a show again that, that like you got to override it <laughs> like you're only as funny as your last show type feeling
0: yeah it's gotta suck i mean you know but uh, so many people talk about it as a um sort of metamorphosis it's oh that was the moment it all changed where you know i was cruising i thought it was doing great and then i had a bombed a couple of times in a row and before you know it
2: i don't, I don't know if it's like a sudden metamorphosis though I, I do i do think it's like probably a gradual thing i think it's like i think you have like growth spurts like like but yeah it's kind of like witnessing your yourself getting taller or something like that right you know you you, do like you remember being a kid and like do you remember the the minutes that went by when you got taller like
0: oh yeah like you were i mean you're you're tall too. you are being uh, six feet tall and 200 pounds in eighth grade or whatever it's you know
2: but you remember it as like a a, maybe a you remember like a maybe a growth spurt but you don't it's not like you remember the day you know it's not like a moment that you can really pinpoint It's still, even at its fastest moments, it's still a gradual thing. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Maybe someone does have that, where they're like, no, I figured it out this moment. I had an epiphany. I remember being a kid and being fascinated by epiphanies, like a eureka moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, sometimes uh, they're incredibly enlightening, and sometimes they come from yourself, you know? They come from inside of you, versus you see something or react to a stimulus or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, well, that's like that's what's so intriguing about it. Like, I mean, I guess maybe that's the laziness in me that wants there to be like these epiphanies or like these Eureka moments. Like, suddenly I get it. Like, you want it to all come at once, <laughs> kind of like you can just go to the well, store and then bring it home. Like, there now, Eureka! I got it.
0: I'm I'm super curious to get your take on cancel culture and you know people like Louis C.K. Any. You know, uh, Jimmy Fallon, Kimmel, all these guys, you know, their former crimes resurfacing 20, 30 years later. Um, you know, I mean, what's your take on it? I mean, I'm an absolutist when it comes to free speech. I think the the comedy stage is like the last bastion of really true, honest, free expression. And if you start putting the censorship hammer down on that. But I, to me, it seems like cancel culture is a, a big part of today's environment being a comedian i'm just wondering uh, what's your take and if you've had any cancel moments in your i don't
2: know i think like no i think it's like i think it's definitely something that you are afraid of like i've always been afraid of like oh i don't want to say something that like that's that's part of one of those big fears that creates that hesitation it's like oh like i don't want to say something that like that like turns everyone off forever like that's like oh dang like do you you made that joke like like but at the same time, like, that's also kind of where the comedy is, is, like, you pushing that envelope. If you're talking about, like, people like Louis C.K., that's different because that's, like, outside of the crowd. There's, there's two types of, right? There's, like, there's the things that you're joking about, and then, then there's, like, the outside, like, outside events. And uh, I don't know, like. Uh,
0: the outside events ones are key. It, it, there needs to be a clear delineation between
2: the two. Uh, I'm that's what I'm saying like that that that's two separate things right that's For not sure. the same thing uh and I think weirdly in the conversation uh cancel culture kind of gets talked about like those two those are they kind of get talked about like it, oh this is the same thing like that's not the same I don't think you know uh, the thing is like uh, it's not even my place to talk about like uh, Jimmy Kimmel like doing blackface like I'm not I'm not black like yeah you know I mean like I mean right. I could talk about it like but I'm not, spe- I'm not speaking from a place of knowing, you know, I, like uh, so I, I I can't be the judge of that. Like if people are pissed at that, like I think that's part of the agreement of being a comedian. Is like you you do something and you, you do it in hopes that people will laugh, but like you also gotta kind of accept the reaction that you get. Like if you do something and people get mad at it, like that's the audience's. Like that's kind of the contract. The you have the audience. You have the right to like kind of like joke about whatever you want. But, like, the audience also has the right to be like, that fucking sucks. <laughs> like, that's, that's like, how, that's the, the relationship,
0: right? And for years, if it was funny, it was okay. As long as it was funny, I mean, there were no limits. Right. If I could quote the Chicago Tribune uh, talking about you and your act, uh, they said, his act is absurdist, absurdist, provocative, disturbing, often unnerving personal. And... You know, I'm just wondering if you've run into any old jokes that have come back to haunt. Like, I think you had a bit about uh, a Tom Petty song, right? Where,
2: what? Well, yeah, like I go, I play, yeah, I play, I say, this song's about rapist, And then I play Tom Petty's, I won't back down. But I think that's also like talking about, like, to me, the joke wasn't about, like, taking away the weight. It's, it's about, look about, look at how, like, weirdly, I was actually talking about, like, the weirdly, Transformative nature that music is. It's like it's weird that like you we hear these songs all the time that like because it's catchy but like it it can be you know it can be disarming. Right? There's that sting song like you take and you're like oh it's it's heartwarming. Then you read lyrics and like wait a second it's kind of creepy sting.
0: Dude, Uh, that's not the only one too. I mean don't stand so close to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a hit in the 80s. Uh, there's so many songs like that that now over the you know t- course of time, looking back on you know these huge number one worldwide hits that everybody thought were cool, all of a sudden times change and before you know it.
2: I, I think I also like that to me the funny part of that joke is that like – and I, I also don't think that that's what that song is about. I love Tom Petty. I, it's just the idea of uh, transformation, like the idea of taking something and – we've all heard it one way and then being like, but have you, can you look at it this way? Too? Like the idea of something being like the interpretation or something like that, like, Whoa, man, like, Oh, like that totally ruins this. Like, and I don't want to ruin a Tom Petty song, but like, I, I just made the joke to my, to my friend when we were listening in the car cause everyone was like really enjoying the song. And I was like, yeah, it's too bad. that This song is about a rapist. And everyone's like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> like it was more like with my friends, I was trying to like be an asshole. And then, but like, then everyone laughed really hard at it, and I was like, "I'll, I'll do it on stand
0: up too." It's hilarious, and that's why it works, you know. But I mean, to come to bring it back to Hannibal, I mean, Bill Cosby was a, you know, the patron saint of comedy. So he inspires you know so many comics. And but it changes
2: you know, it when you like watch like I it's I haven't really watched any Bill Cosby since
0: either. Right. But it would, uh, when that whole thing was going on with Hannibal, I think he got a lot of flack, you know. But at the same time, you know, being truthful and honest on stage, it's so key, uh, it seems to me. But uh, being a huge Hannibal fan, I mean, what do you think about that whole situation looking back on
2: it? Uh, I love everything Hannibal does. I think it's like, I mean, he was joking about, like, a real thing, right? Like, I mean, did he really get much flack for that?
0: Well, he was sort of, like, you know, it was
2: i you know what people might have been thinking that he was doing it to like get like attention i don't think i I don't think he was doing it I think he was just had a joke and then the 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 joke was actually an old joke that later but, you know, i mean like and I think it was like his actual honest take like on like, because Bill Coffey was really judgmental of people and telling people like how they should be with their acts and should they be like clean or or, or you know what they're you know, doctoring people's material. You know, like, hey, you should you should do this.
0: The whole notion of a clean comic or being able to work clean uh, a la Seinfeld, I mean, it seems to be there. – that is the two camps. Like, you can – you either go the clean road or you go the dirty road, and there's not a lot of crossover in those two genres, you know. I mean, what uh, – do you have any – insights as to trying to work it clean. have you ever have you ever had a gig where you've like oh man I don't know if I can work all this dirty material and I'm gonna have to you know work clean so to speak
2: yeah definitely some rooms you got to do clean some rooms like you can do whatever you want and I don't even know what clean is like it's kind of like a weird thing that people talk about but there is no actual definition what is what does clean mean? Does it mean that there's no taboo material or does it mean that you can't say swear words or can I sw- can I not swear but then talk about like abortion? Can I right. can I or am I allowed to swear but I can't talk about abortion? Uh can I make fun of religion? Oh, I can't like it's like it's like what's clean? I mean, we know what's definitely clean like if you're not swearing and not talking about anything taboo like then that has to be clean right but what is where does uh, where where do things get messed up I don't know and every room every booker has their own like uh, kind of I I think that what most people do is they kind of just do what they do and they get booked where that books them right and unless like a, a their booker says like hey none of this like and they might have specifications individual to that booker
0: i mean it's such a it's almost a relic of a bygone era of when television still mattered uh you know you had to go up clean on television to meet standards or whatever uh i mean today it's it almost doesn't exist anymore it seems like
2: yeah it's especially with like the internet i don't know i think it's something that like it's probably best to just ignore and not even think about like i mean unless it's like the booker telling you what their standards are but like don't I personally think, like, just make the jokes that you think are, like, just joke. You do your jokes and then find your audience. Uh, and, you know, it'll, you got to do it for your own intentions first. And then you could think about the outside intentions. I mean, that that would be the priority in my head. Or at least I think what I've done, the belief I've operated under. I don't know
1: it's easy to it,
2: it, it you are bringing up though like that's like the fear like it, again like do i, I don't want to like s- step on yes it, we come back to that same thing it's like so i was googling it's funny because yesterday before this interview i was googling the concept of self-censorship because i was looking at this the countries that have the most religion and then by like you know what, what rank like there was a 2008 gallup poll like how important is religion in your daily life? Yeah, is it yes, it is important in your daily life or no it's not. So it's a two answer. Hello plane. Um we'll keep it in. This plane's a good plane. Oh no, it's a helicopter. It's a bad plane. That's not a good plane. Uh LA has so many helicopters. Yeah, the police. Anyway.
0: They're all coming from the OC, and they need to transition Burbank airspace, yeah. so they fly right over Glendale, and so it's just like this alleyway of low flying choppers uh, constantly. So but
2: where were we at? What was this?
0: Well, self censorship is really—it's yes. a big deal in Canada and in the UK. Uh, I mean, I think there's been several examples of uh, comics in Canada that have been horrible, huge fines and jail time.
2: I want to come back to this though. There's, so there's a 2008 Gallup poll that's like uh they were uh, all of the countries they interview people how important is, is 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 religion important in your daily life yes or no some countries have like a 100% yes answer and that's the countries i went to uh is it oman is is one of the countries it had 100% and then like you know the country has um and i was just looking at the correlation between uh countries that religion is a the answers was yes, and also like censorship in those countries, and this was a country that uh, the the government pretty much chooses the journalists, and then on top of there being like censored journalism, there is also self censorship, which is yeah, from f- the fear of speaking in a taboo form. I don't know. It, it was just I found it interesting. I didn't find it to be like uh, it doesn't in my mind. It's not like well now religion is bad. Like it's like. Eh.
0: It is. It's fascinating. In the 80s, the censorship came primarily from the religious right, the Republican side. Um, you know, you had things like, um, you know, putting explicit labels on rock music, um, you know, the whole Tipper Gore mm-hmm. uh, fiasco. But it's switched. It's come completely 180 now to more of a sort of left wing type of censorship. I disagree. Okay.
2: I think that, I mean, respectfully, <laughs> like I think that it's, I think it's, it's like, I think of it like pockets or you know, zip codes or whatever we will say by like, you know, I think I I respectfully disagree with the idea of it being more of a left or a right thing. Uh, I think that if you go from like zip code to zip code or if you, or if you go to like certain regions, it's like the people that are are censored in Los Angeles County are different than the people that are are censored in uh, maybe Lake County or, or or, a northern suburb of chicago or or maybe somewhere in 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 rural wyoming or something it's a different because there's a different zeitgeist there so there's a different there are different taboos so different people are censored in different regions right right like and i i don't think it's it yes i think that there's censorship on the left and also on the right and even in like in the media there's a bit popular like belief amongst the right that like the media is like completely left and it's it's true amongst like you know maybe like hollywood you know stars and stuff but there's it especially in the in the age of uh the internet like there's multimedia,s there's twitter there's there's social media there's all of these different you know you have like joe rogan you have all these giant podcasts and stuff and you know
0: circumventing the traditional methods for distribution
2: and these groups have their own culture and these there's things that are like you know taboo and stuff like oh you said you made that comment on a vegan forum oh you made that comment on a carnivore forum and i think everyone is equally obnoxious i think everyone is like maybe not equally i don't know but like it's weird it's not like in my mind it's not left versus right it's like are you authoritarian or are you chill (laughs) like like because i there's a lot of right-wing authoritarians there's a lot of left wing authoritarians as far as like and uh, and then that's how I kind of look at it. And, and there's also stuff that people I think are, are rightfully angry at. I'm not like I, I think it's wrong to is like to for me to tell people that they can't be angry at things. It's kind of like the, the, the reaction we were talking about earlier. Like, you know, hey, some people are going to be mad at, at Jimmy Kimmel. And you know what? That's like that's the agreement. Jimmy Kimmel did something and that, that was the reaction
0: and speaking of inflammatory if i could do some shameless uh, promotion here your twitter handle is flat earth doctor <laughs> and, i mean there's been no topic more divisive and heated than the flat earth debate now i'm not going to take one side or the other uh, obviously cuz everybody this is the same thing though, self-censorship oh my god i will be perceived as crazy if i even talk about this particular subject so, what is what is it about Flat Earth Doctor that made you... I just thought it was a funny handle. I, that, that's just... <laughs> it was like,
2: I, I like... It's fun to come up with fun screen names. I actually think, should I even reveal if I believe in Flat Earth or not? I think it might be more fun to never reveal that and make the audience guess.
0: Well, it is intriguing and mysterious. And the first thing I thought, well, I wonder, you know, he, well, he wouldn't do that if he really was a flat earther. Is he making fun of flat earthers? Is he, is he trying to, you know, walk the, walk the line and arbitrage, you know, to me, it's a, it's a great handle. You're not going to forget it. You Thank know? You. <laughs> so yeah. Check him out. Chris Condren, flat earth, the doctor on Twitter, a lot of good tweets, a lot of good retweets.
2: <laughs> I think it's okay. Twitter. I got to get better at it. But the f- yeah, the whole
0: flat Earth thing was so hot, like five years ago. And it, you hot, couldn't man.
2: escape it. Well, that's what I'm talking about. There's these different pockets.
0: Like, you know
2: if I go into like a, a flat earth forum and I and I say something like people like g- g- will violently react to um contradictions to their ideology in all circles and I think that's why I was talking about like everyone's kind of equally obnoxious in a sense of like everyone's like there's there's definitely a culture of shame that still emits from the world of religion you know what I mean like that it, that didn't go away like we right. still live under like and and I'm not like, and I'm not saying like, oh, we should leave. You, like, I'm not against religion. I'm not against people having religion. You know, whatever you are, like, that's you know, cool. Like, do that. Um, but I, I, I do think that it's bad when, when people are like shaming people and and you know, kind of, and when it, uh, when they, when they're using it as a justification to kill people or when it's like when you're trying to control others with it or when they, when you kind of have these expectations, that that, that kind of becomes like chill man (laughs) like come on what are you doing
0: yeah it's got to lighten up a little you know like i mean it's not asking questions i mean look at the original flat earthers right the christians back in the day uh copernicus comes along and he says hey i've got it all worked out you know it's it's the earth isn't flat after all and i mean you my how times change you know but it's come full circle back to you know is it even okay to even like, for me, five years ago on YouTube, it, they just kept showing up in my YouTube feed. I'm like, well, how can there possibly be this many flat Earth videos? What the fuck?
2: I'll tell you this. I don't know whether or not the Earth is flat. It's one of those... un. I, I have an idea, personally. But, it once again, like, I have no way of... Um,
0: you can't I, go up in a rocket.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't personally have a rocket. Like, it's one of those uh, unknown knowns right and
0: like just like open micers the one guy that actually wanted to try crashed and died and now he's you know it's forever you know it's going to be associated that uh, oh that's a, the kind of idiot that j- jumps in a rocket i mean talk about bombing at an open mic i mean that's about right yeah
2: that's off uh, that that's that's really sad i mean this person was a curious person that I wanted to discover personally all right I, I mean i'll just say it like personally i believe that earth's probably round. occam's razor but I'm not going to also disparage people that are like curious, right? From like questioning something. What if we do live in a simulation, and the and the, and the simulation is one that appears to be living on a round earth, but is actually a flat plane, kind of like when you're playing Grand Theft Auto or something, right? And why is
0: that argument completely accepted? You can talk about simulation theory all day, but the minute you even attempt to say well you know let's just look at the flat earth argument and see right. where the holes are oh immediately you know you can have one conversation but you can't have the other
2: that to me would be the situation in which the earth is flat if it is if we are in a simulation right that would be the only way that that would explain it in my mind because there are these things that like you know if you go out in the lake and you see the if you see the skyscrapers you know dip and like there, there are like these there's evidence again that there's a there's overwhelming evidence that the earth is round
0: you know it's amazing how each side has exactly what it needs to be set in their argument yeah. and just never, ever, you know, detach. Well, yeah. There's just enough evidence on both sides, you know? Uh, and it really, to me, it boils down to there's two kinds of people. You either trust the government and news or you don't. And the whole the whole argument about flat Earth boils down to, well, you just have to trust NASA. Like there's no other way to you know, and whether you believe in it or not, or whether you've en- even entertained the argument just for known unknown, yeah. critical thinking kind of uh, argument's sake, um, you know, you have to wrestle with these questions. You know, like okay, well, how do we prove it without NASA? Oh boy, there's a can of worms. You know,
2: I'm I'm personally have no horse in the the race. I personally I think that don't I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories because it's a um, It's so easy to be wrong. I'm so wrong so often about so much in my life. (laughs) Like with, you know, I was wrong with what I thought 2020 would be like. Like, you know I mean? Like it's how often are my guesses right? And I, I feel like it's easier to know when something's fishy, but then to fill that void with the answer of, okay, well, this is what happened. I think is like, that's where it's, it becomes more easy to fuck up. Like in my mind, I'm pretty sure that, The story that we're told about 9-11 is not the real story. Now, I'm not going to fill that void with what I think happened because that's where it's like so, I'm sure my speculations will be false. You know what I mean? I think that we live in a world where people are so eager to fill their doubts with a certainty. It comes back to that caveman thing. It's like, oh, I got to know. It's like, it's okay to sustain the void. It's okay to be like, I don't know what happened on 9-11 and I never will know. That's all right. I mean, it's not all right. It's, it's a terrible tragedy, but like, I don't need to fill it with a, uh, a you know, with a theory. I can, I can sustain the uncertainty.
0: People want to read the last page of the book immediately. Uh, it's the bottom line up front mentality. Well, if you don't have an explanation or an answer that you can feed them to make it all better, then immediately it's poo pooed and you're crazy, you know. But long before nine eleven, there was the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, long before the Kennedy assassination, there was World Wars one and two. I mean, like World War one to me is you know the the story of the assassination of archduke ferdinand like you know oh the guy tried and then he failed and he gave up and he went to get coffee and then oh just had the the caravan just happen to roll right past the coffee shop and then the car breaks down and like you couldn't write this kind of shit you know and to me like i think it, i think uh, you know history has been if not a lie agreed upon at least a series of questionable events where in well, an there's also, like years,
2: yeah there's, there's contradictory histories too, like some like People are fighting for their like. If you go to different countries and look at different hi- history books, like, yeah, it's it's it, it's written by the victors.
0: And you know, for a long time, you couldn't joke about nine eleven. And I mean, maybe you still can't. But I think this is a fascinating. Am I correct that your birthday is nine eleven? Yeah, it is my birthday. I mean I I can sense already that you must have a lot a out a lot of this and you have no desire to talk about it whatsoever but
2: Oh no I, I can talk like I I personally I don't have like a it's not like I mean I'm not from New York you know <laughs> like I'm from Chicago it's not like the only my only connection to it is my obviously I'm an American and also that is my birthday but I I didn't know anyone like I I can't speak on that personal level that so many people can
0: and you know, this is the appeal to authority, right? If you don't have a PhD in front of your name, you have no uh business. And, you know, nine eleven means so many different things to so many people. For me, it was like right around two thousand eight. I'd, you know, read the commission report and um I do a little bit of flying. I'm an amateur pilot. Yeah. And I kinda always had a sick fascination with plane crashes before nine eleven, you know, reading about black boxes. Uh, where they're located, why they usually survive crashes. And, you know, the thing that ticks it off for me right away is, you know, they never found the black boxes. Yeah,
2: it's, it, there's lies happening. There's It's not – there's something fishy there. It's, it's – like, the thing is, I don't know – like, once again, I I, I have a – I feel like unknown knowledge possibly about it. Like, I feel like – I'm guessing something fishy really happened. The fact that they didn't like swear under oath like on the the was the, the on the report. The fact that there was so much secrecy. I'd probably give it like a in my mind, I'd give it a one percent chance that what they say happened happened.
0: It's enough to know it didn't go down the way they yeah. said it did. And everything after that, which is exactly the trap that everybody falls into, is oh well, it must be an explanation. We're going to speculate about uh, directed energy and yeah, uh, you know, thermonukes, nanotherm,at whatever it is. Um, but this is why I don't know if I don't know if you probably didn't realize you're going to run into a nine eleven researcher on this podcast. I, this is the Everyone last thing. Everyone is
2: I, though, right? Everyone's look, looked into it a little bit. Building seven, it's all whack, right,
0: bro? I'm I'm <laughs> deep. Yeah. Involved deep in conspiracies and in nine eleven in particular, because it's the aviation side of things that is really intriguing to me. But the, this year, the University of Alaska at Fairbanks put out finally an engineering peer reviewed study, and the conclusion was that there's no way Building Seven could have, you know, had free fall speed due to thermal expansion. As Nist claims, boy, we're getting deep. This is a comedy show,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but it's it was a groundbreaking report completely ignored by the media. Yeah. Actual engineers at a real American university put out a peer-reviewed study that said there's no fucking way jet fuel can do that to a building and silence, you know, crickets.
2: It also just looked. It just really looked weird on the video too. It's like, wait, what hit that? What? What? Building seven was just hanging out, right? It was like not even like a part of the. It just fell. Like it looks so weird. Like it's just crazy that like to me it just we were talking about Occam's razor before, right? Like I, I, I believe the earth is round because Occam's razor, I see, I hear so much evidence, the curvature and stuff like that. I'm not like a certain, I'm not going to judge anyone that wants to like, you know, collect evidence to the contrary. Cause once again, like curiosity is great. And people should like, definitely like, you know, challenge things and stuff. That's great. Like, you see, if you, maybe you find something that, that like uh, that cracks the, the, the case or whatever, but like I'm operating under the belief that, you know, all that stuff like but it, back to what we were saying like it just occam's razor in this case for me is like it just doesn't make sense that like uh it wasn't something uh, like i i like once again i don't know i'm not coming up with some theory of who did it or how it was done but it doesn't seem like those two planes are what made and the, the shock wave and stuff like it doesn't make sense that it would fall like that like it 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 did look weird it doesn't it it doesn't make sense. It's not what makes the most sense.
0: Well, when when you measure it against you know fifty years of other government um, conspiracies, whatever you want to call them, you know, I mean, it's it the list is endless. I mean, it literally starts with World War One and all the way through the fifties, sixties, Kennedy, MLK, RFK. Um, you know, in your hometown of Chicago, Fred Hampton, one of the most eloquent, brilliant. Mm-hmm. 21 year old kids ever who was trying to make a difference in this community it was gunned down by the Chicago PD and, yeah, with help from the FBI and CIA. Nobody cares. That's you know, like a crazy
2: if anyone, like, I would encourage people to look that up. Like, at the uh, a lot of people don't know about Fred Hampton, uh, and I'm not like the person to, to, to like be like, well, let me tell you, but like, it's something that people that don't know about it, like, definitely look that up because, like, his assassination was like, like that's a that's what another really sus thing that happened, like. <laughs> They they claim that he had like a gun in his hands, uh, like a, a machine gun. Like, but the blood splatter is like you could see that they shot a guy that was like laying down.
0: And it, Chicago has this rich history of, you know, the Dailies. Uh, you know, there was a famous mayor Harold Washington that was trying to make change and you know districts. I mean, strikes, the mob, Chicago in like in the '68 election. People think that we're living through crazy times now and you know, there's riots in the street. I mean, you look at that 68 convention footage of the Chicago PD just beating the crap out of those kids and tear gas. I mean, it's almost makes today it kind of look tame, you know, and then what they did out on the actual convention floor, uh, the dailies forcing out journalists. And it was just such a rigged shit show of American politics. And yet, you know, just everybody moves past and okay, you got Nixon and, Oh, Nixon's the end of the world. And, I mean, Nixon's just the beginning of the end of the world. But all the way, you know, through around Contra, the 80s, the savings loan scandal, scandal, uh, you know, don't get me started on Waco, right? I mean, that's another good Bill Hicks bit. Um,
2: I mean, I was talking to my wife the other day about, like, so much of this world is based on exploitation. And so much of the, like, so much of the fights and conflicts that we have are to either... It's it, a lot of it is like for people to fight to be able to exploit who they want to exploit or to continue to exploit. And, you know, we have And, and I, I think it's kind of engineered how like you have like the, a left versus the right, because if the, if the left and the right stopped fighting and they'd probably like they'd probably see that like it'd probably look more towards the exploitation that's happening to, to the whole country.
0: And I mean to bring it right back to Rumsfeld, you know. There's a famous photo where he's shaking hands with Saddam Hussein in the early '80s as we're arming him to go fight a war against Iran. Fast forward 20 years, he's at the helm on 9/11 the day before he has a press conference announcing, "Hey, by the way, we lost a couple trillion dollars. Don't worry though, we're gonna we're gonna have a war on waste." And then uh, a year later, it's we're invading so incompet- Iran.
2: There's so here's the thing is like you're talking you're telling me stuff that I didn't know about. Like there's so much. the thing is there's so the breadth of like fucked up shit that's happening in the world. Like it's each era is its own like history class that you could take, you know, spend years studying, you know what I mean? Like it, you can go down the rabbit hole and
0: so much stuff. This is where you know if the the your average person that tries to look at 9/11, oh, well that can't be true somebody would have said something or it's too big of a lie you know the lie is too big it can't possibly be true but when you when you have a when you start with a lens of oh man the government's done this 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 and this and now they're gonna tell the truth you know I mean yeah
2: well I mean there's top secret is a thing in the government right once again like I I think about my brain being like a a house that I have multiple rooms that I can Airbnb things out to, right? Maybe my my brain is like a four bedroom house. And uh, each day I choose to Airbnb out my my rooms to certain things. Maybe I'll give one room to music, right? And maybe I'll give uh, another room to my wife. I'll give another, like, and these are what my thoughts are, right? Is what, and each day, like, and I have my, like, and it changes day to day, maybe one day, I'm spending all day thinking about music, and maybe one day I'm spending the whole day with my wife. One day it's comedy, uh, like and all day, and like, and I I think about like how much, uh, how often do I want to Airbnb out a room to this particular topic, and I and I wonder if that's the intention of people. It's like, is it specifically to hijack me and to for me to not do the things that I want to do.
0: Endless rabbit holes. You yeah, exactly.
2: The- and I wonder if, the, and I wonder if that's actually a really big. That, what it's like? What if that's how I'm being puppeted? It's like th- to be fighting this us and them, you know, war instead of doing uh, what I love as an individual. Because you know, if I do things that I love as an individual, well, then I'm a more free-thinking spirit, and I'm like living a life of just happiness. And I'm sure that if those are the people that are probably harder to control in mass are people that are just doing what they love right that that's like uh if you want to enslave the masses you probably don't want that i i I definitely think about issues that are important a certain amount of time of my day because i also don't want to be ignorant to things and i but i also don't want to be totally hijacked and consumed by them like i it's important to live our lives as well as also become like there's a balance there right that's what what i'm trying to get it's like how much of our brain, do we Airbnb out to these issues? And what's the healthy amount? Like what's too little, what's too much?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the insidious nature of a rabbit hole is the more time you spend in it and going down it, the more sort of personally invested you are in whatever you think happened, you know, and to be, to to put in the time and, and energy into quote unquote researching, and then to just chuck it all out the window when confronted with newer, Evidence or a, a different theory, a different take. It's incredibly hard to do, and it's it to bring it back again. I mean, it just it's it seems like no matter what we're talking about, whether it's nine eleven, flat earth, any yeah. of these crazy topics, both sides have just enough evidence to be able to be entrenched in their own arguments. Right,
2: and there's a lot of confirmation bias that goes on that's
0: what i get more than anything is oh you just live in an echo chamber of conspiracies and you know, i'm not this- even
2: saying confirmation bias within like a community within ourselves like just like th- the way that we look for like oh i all the time look for you know evidence that i am correct in my assumptions like it's it's really hard to not be influenced by that type of a bias
0: have you ever attempted a 9-11 joke yeah uh, yeah totally Bill Burr had a great uh, bit about, you know, how for, for a while firefighters were like, you know, heroes and first responders and then it turned to cops. And then, you know, now it's, uh you know, it just has a way of flipping and uh, you can't even, you know, you're getting out, out heroed every time, depending on the uh, tragedy. Who's the
2: biggest hero? But that's like a construct itself, too. It's like the idea of the hero, right? That's like a, something that can be used to puppet people like. I'm not, and I'm not taking away from heroes right now, like that are like firefighters and like, but like just just like I'm just thinking about that construct, the idea of a hero, like that's like a thing. It's it's like a concept that is so ingrained in our society. It's in uh, it's in our Disney movies. Like you want to be the hero. You want to be the hero. Like and to be a hero, there's a bad guy, and like you want to be the good guy. Like and. It's kind of like everything is kind of framed. Like it's crazy how much stuff is framed in like a us versus them. Like it, it, like there's like a subtext of that to me.
0: No, I mean it's the story as old as time.
2: I mean, and that makes sense because human history is very much us versus them, and like. Yeah.
0: Two things come to my mind is, you know, Plato's cave analogy, but also Joseph Campbell, right? The hero with a thousand faces. That was his whole, you know, body of work. was That was a big theme, how, you know, different continents over uh, different areas of uh, the world. He had the same kind of stories emerging from the very different cultures that had never met each other, never interacted. And um, yet you find <clears throat> these historical records all over the place of the same exact themes, you know. Uh, a hero fighting an enemy
2: yeah it's kind of lame actually i i just feel like it's boring right it's so like like just the concept yeah i mean like well like what happens like let's let's say like just like it's such a common daydream like it's such a like it's such a it's a it's a spell you know it's like a magic spell or something that's been cast on everyone disney cast that magic spell on us we've seen the hero story we want to be the hero uh over and over again it's 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 recast it's an enchantment
0: and and the story usually ends with the hero being killed by the people he's trying to save <laughs> uh la, you know maybe Plato. all
2: there's oh no it's not this so it's not so monotone there's so many different hero stories there's ones where they get the girl there's ones where they you know what i mean like there's so many different angles on the hero they like maybe there's just 62 or whatever the number of their scripts they say they are but like was it like create like a want to be a hero like what are we looking for? Do we, Are we looking to like, do we want to live a life that like at the end, someone's like, you were a hero. You, you, you did great. And you really, I mean, that would be nice. I would love to like, sure. I'd love to like do good for the world and like, shit, save a bunch of people from a fire and stuff. But like, um, well, it, it, here's the, the concept I was thinking about. And is after you, your life is saved, What do you do with that life? Like, if we're just saving lives for the sake of saving lives, if we're just being heroes for the sake of being heroes, like, but what is being saved?
0: What if you save somebody truly horrible and atrocious?
2: True. Uh, But, and that's a concept, like, that, you know, you, you, you... yeah yeah, like uh, but not even that's not even the part that like I'm thinking about. Like that's true. That's I wouldn't I wouldn't put any mental weight on that though. If I saved someone's life and then they did awful shit, that's still their responsibility. That's on them. Like I wouldn't feel bad about that.
0: But like what do you do with your second chance? I guess
2: you? I was thinking about it in this sense. I was thinking about like you know, I, I got married and I was thinking about like home security and you know, and and uh and, and keeping the home safe like for me and my wife and like the steps to do that and like and then but then it got me thinking like what life am i trying to protect but at the same time like what life am i living am i just am i am i really honoring my life that i have like
0: am i worth saving
2: exactly like am i that's the point i'm getting like the spell that disney cast is that like the point of life is to be a hero but that can't be the case because the fact that we're saving something implies that there's something to be saved like and we're not just saving people that are going to save other people like so that's my question is what are those people doing that you would be saving in the Disney movie? Like what is like, what,
0: if there is no evil how can there be good right. if there are no and- angels how can there be demons and it, one of the things that like regular normal people always relate to when you tell them about disney in particular is the mother always dies right you can like bambi any of these old disney movies mm-hmm. there's this reoccurring theme where the the mother dies right away and then the kids are orphans and they've got to go be heroes you know every it seems to relate to everyone it seems like a crazy conspiracy theory but it's not and people relate to it immediately that's been my experience hmm.
2: yeah I guess yeah it's like there's all these tropes I I didn't even I hadn't even analyzed that but you're right Bambi and all these you know I guess Aladdin didn't have parents uh Buzz Lightyear didn't have no <laughs> Pixar's different but you're right even Pixar the Finding Nemo the mom died
0: dude and it's like who okay we're gonna make a movie about a bambi and we're gonna just shatter these poor children's brains with you know the horrible murder of the mother you know to intro the movie and this is a kids movie are you kidding
2: me yeah that's strange
0: and speaking of heroes you know there's a great movie independence day and uh, yeah it's making the ultimate sacrifice armageddon style yeah And uh, you have a great bit about it called "Spaceship Butthole" <laughs> yeah. that I would love to play right now sure. if it's cool with you. Go for it. It's off his album. I promise so my next for? album I'm gonna will be say, better.
1: I going to say his name.
0: Uh, it, it, like I'm gonna, you know, give, we're gonna give it up for him. Pause. We're gonna pause for a second.
1: Boo. Do boos.
0: What? <laughs> what? <laughs> you want them to boo? I want them to boo. Are you, are you sure about that?
1: I'm positive, man. Positive? Yeah. OK. Uh, so
0: I'm going to say his name, give it like two seconds, and then start booing. Just, but then after that, you want them to laugh, right?
1: I don't know. We'll
0: see. <laughs> That is fair. Okay.
1: All right. God damn it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Condren. Officially, run out of time to write an album. This is it. We're in it. Man, I was like, I was like, I'll just tomorrow. I'll write more. And I'll focus. I did write an outline. I just memorized none of it. I had a really beautiful written album. You're not gonna hear it. There's callbacks and all tons of like, oh, ooh, look who Shakespeare. Ah, oh, hey, hey. Somebody's doing some writing for once. Hey, oh, practice what you preach. Uh, but part writing is remembering what you write. And, and remembering is not one of my talents. I was just not cooked into me, you know? Like, we'll find a way. It's just like Independence Day, spaceship butthole. You gotta find a spaceship butthole. You know what I'm talking about? In the end, that Lady has sang. The time has run out, you are looking at an alien at a computer council, and you are locked in, they know you're there, you are fucked. And then for some, immacu- you know, miraculous, that's the word. Uh, I did a word gamble. I tried to say a word that was too big, and then it... I'm a... That's what I do, I'm a word gambler. Sometimes I'll say words that I don't know the meaning of, and I just hope it's right and I find out moments later, based on the expressions of my friends. (laughs) Yes, they still think I'm an idiot. That's not what trepidatious means. (laughs) Spaceship butthole, that's when the fat lady is saying, you're smoking cigars with the dude from Jurassic Park, that's not Will Smith. Malcolm Gladwell, but not Malcolm Gladwell. What's his name? Somebody shout it. Jeff Garland. (laughs) Miraculously, the aliens let go of your ship, and you're like, holy shit, we're loose! And then you're flying through the spaceship, out of it, and there's aliens chasing you, and you're like, oh my god, there's a spaceship butthole, let's fly out of it, and just in time, you fly out of the spaceship butthole, and the aliens blow up behind you, and you're safe, and this motherfucking ship explodes, and you're like, wow, and you're like, welcome to Earth, and then there's a parade for you. And it's Independence Day, also, which is a great coincidence. You would imagine that the aliens would do the research of the history of the humans they're invading. You can't fuck with us on Independence Day. That's our day. We're gonna give a great speech on that day. We're gonna rise up and fly out the spaceship butthole so that's what i hope that this set is tonight because i feel like i don't remember any of it up to this point we're just spaceship buttholing and please use that and explain to everyone what it means i want to become common vernacular i want to be like dope (laughs) you know people just say it all the time like oh yeah make a spaceship butthole. like i uploaded it to uh, urban i almost said outfitters shit man make a shirt make a spaceship butthole shirt get the word out
0: it's become part of my vernacular i think spaceship butthole all the time now <laughs> uh, whenever cool. there's a situation that requires a hero uh, defying odds and escaping narrowly uh we got to find a way to get it done but but just like the uh, disney movie you know that's a theme in a lot of space movies like star wars uh, you're I mean, right so many of them so many of them they have that spaceship butthole that theme cool. or they they sneak into the uh you know the weakest Achilles heel part of the ship to be able to uh, Trojan horse or infiltrate it. So anyway, I think uh, that's
2: a good observation, man. I didn't even think of it on the broader scale of it being like a common thing in all space, but you're right. That was the end of star Wars too. Like they were flying through the intestines of the, the, the death star. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. You have to shoot a. (laughs) You have to shoot a.
0: Proton Torpedo.
2: Uh I can't remember what it was. That, that,
0: dude, so many space movies yeah. like that for sure. Yeah. But that, that Jeff Garland tag's the best. <laughs> <laughs> They're so eager at that point. They're so eager to yell Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. yeah I, so genius.
2: The on the, in the moment I switched it. Uh, I I forgot the the joke I like right there is the word gambler bit. I forgot about that. I like that that was a that was a fun one that's a fun show
0: that's one of those moments not pre-planned right yeah yeah,
2: yeah that, that that ended up being probably the better joke in that bit when that, that whole bit was actually I think pretty improvised
0: that album is so well recorded you know it feels like you're in the club I mean the claps and you, you can almost
2: that's uh, at comedians you should know that's the club that I was talking about I love that place
0: whoever recorded that big shout out James
2: Webb That's my buddy, James Webb. He records tons of comedy albums. Um, He's also got a podcast studio. So yeah, check him out if you're in Chicago.
0: What's the name of the, he's got a podcast? He's got tons of podcasts.
2: He has, he does, he's a producer of podcasts. So he, Uh, he actually doesn't have one himself. I don't think he, like, he's just like on a lot of them. as like the producer. Yeah, I am running low on battery for my laptop. I got about 16% left.
0: Okay, well it's Chris, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast oh, today. I really yeah. thank you. Chris, you can find him on Twitter at Flat Earth Doctor. And that's his Twitter handle. Be sure and check out his album. Uh it's available on iTunes and everywhere else is sold. It's uh it's really funny. I enjoy it thoroughly. And uh yeah, spaceship bottle, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, I appreciate buddy. you doing the podcast and um yeah.
2: I want to clarify to all the listeners that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs>
0: And that goes for me too. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. We do what we can, you know? All right.
1: This is my first movie idea. This is how I'm going to make the mega million. Five astronauts, one werewolf, and a trip to the one place where it's always a full moon the moon. (laughs) Samuel L. Jackson. I have had it with these motherfucking werewolves on this motherfucking moon. Werewolves on a moon. Years, they've been lurking in the darkness, seeking to hone in on their prey. A secret society of pedophiles. Wesley Snipes. Woody Allen. Coming this Friday, The Blade of Pedophiles. All right.